HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area. And we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio. And we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's and their studio. Because they talk to people who are, are serious about food. And that's what we are at Fairway is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain. And, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and, and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. listening to another episode of Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Arway. This is Heritage Radio Network, and we're at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. It's actually a very nice spring-like day in February, and I have a guest on today who knows a lot about cooking. Um, even in the middle of winter when there's hardly any produce, um, she writes a column once a week on at the New York Times. It's called Good, it, good appetite. Yep. Sorry. A, a good appetite. <laughs> a good appetite. I was going to say the good appetite. But um, you've all seen her writing. Um, you've been writing there for several years, right? Yeah, I've been doing the column for, gosh, before I, I date everything before the baby, after the baby, so <laughs> at least three or four years. Terrific. And she just came out with a book called In the Kitchen with a Good Appetite, and it's her own cookbook. You've written other cookbooks before, but... I have, and hi, I'm is, Melissa Clark. Everybody. Oh, sorry, this is <laughs> Melissa okay. Clark. <laughs> um, I have written other cookbooks. I've written 30 cookbooks. 
which is, I know, Tremendous. I know, but it's, you know, I started right when I was out of grad school and I just, I did a couple of year, you know, I did a, several a year and a lot of them are really short and a lot of them are with chefs. And when you're working with chefs and you're working on other people's projects, it moves pretty quickly because you're not, I, I find it, I don't know. I mean, what, what did you think about writing your cookbook? Like when you're writing your own book, you really get stuck on all these little details and it takes a really long time and you stress out about every word. Oh, definitely. And when uh, you're writing someone else's, it's so clear. Mm-hmm. It's like so obvious what you need to do. And it just comes together really quickly, which is good. Cause you know, um, gotta make a living, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny. I had a show with Peter Kaminsky and Peter Meehan a few weeks ago, um, a few months ago, and they were talking about writing for other people's cookbooks, but it's so fun to see, um, these, cookbook writers or ghost writers would you call it or? yeah or I guess co-authors yeah. co-authors um really come into their own and come out with books and this is your first book in the kitchen with a good appetite that is solely by you correct it's my you know it's not exactly my first book okay. that's solely by me but it's my first sort of big book that's solely by me the first book I ever wrote was solely by me and it was a oh. bread it was a bread machine cookbook Okay. Uh, yeah. So these are kind of like little books that I did. I think I made $3,000 for it. I mm-hmm. tested 150 bread machine recipes. I had four <laughs> bread machines going around the clock for six weeks. And that was... How did you do that? So you got out of college and you're like, bread machine book. I got to write it. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. It was more like I got out of... I was, ca- I was a caterer through college. Okay. And um, so people knew me. And, you know, this was before food writing was a thing. People mm-hmm. didn't really think of food writing as a career that you go into they just thought oh that's that or not a very glamorous one right yeah exactly yeah. it was like what are you going to do restaurant criticism like that was it it was restaurant criticism or you write cookbook I mean nobody mm-hmm. really knew and I just I mean I you know read MFK Fisher and I was a writer my whole life I always wrote and I just thought well these are my passions food and writing and I want to bring it together so I was catering I was cooking I did um externships when I was in high school um I worked in restaurants and I couldn't figure out if I wanted to go to school to do an MFA in writing or if I wanted to go to culinary school. Sort of like, Mm. which do I do? And I decided on the writing because I started working in restaurants in the kitchen and I just got scared out of my wits because it's so hard. Being a chef, way hard. Too hard for me. Sitting in my chair writing about food, much easier. (laughs) So I decided to do that. And So I catered to support myself. And I had this little catering company. And um, people knew, oh, Melissa has this catering company. She must know how to write a bread machine cookbook. I was like, yeah, sure. I'd never seen a bread machine, never heard of a bread machine. <laughs> it was like right when they first came out. They gave me four of them. And um, I fe- I, they, it were, they were on four-hour cycles. So okay. I'd like, get up at four in the morning to feed the bread machine. I was like, oh, you this is like the having bread a machine. kid. I, yeah, it was just crazy. And um, I did things like tuna fish bread. I was like, what happens if you put a can of tuna fish in the It turns out, not good things. But I would like try everything. And I can't. <laughs> and that was my first book. And that book has I sold. I want to check this book out. Oh, I don't think you'll be able no. to find it anymore. <laughs> Maybe. But you know, the crazy thing is, okay. I that book sold more copies than all of my other books combined. I think it sold 180,000 copies. Of course, I didn't get royalties on it because I was, you know, right out of school. I had no idea what I was doing. I signed a contract. I had no agent, you know. Wow. But I wrote a lot. I mean, I wrote, so I wrote like four or five books. I wrote the bread machine cookbook, the sweet bread machine cookbook, something called the kitchen primer, something called the coffee book, all these really fast little mass market paperbacks. Okay. And that was what really started me in cookbooks, you know, at the age of 23. So, and that's how I wrote, that was the kind of increase the volume because Mm -hmm. I did so many so quickly. 
That's incredible. Yeah, it was, it was this weird, like, strange moment of my life. <laughs> so did you enjoy bread makers after that? No, I, still, I, no, no? I don't have one. No, I no. don't. <laughs> I gave them all away. People were really happy. Like, really, you don't want the bread machine? I'm like, no, 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 no. No, thank you. It was you. a job, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I know. And then, and then other people have approached me to do other gadget cookbooks. I'm like, no, I think I'm done with gadget cookbooks. I'm not going to yeah. do the rice cooker cookbook. I'm just not. Even though I love my rice cooker, but I like my rice cooker, you know, for rice. I have this amazing, like, 50s, like, kind of pamphlet-type cookbook. It's um, just stapled together, and it's just paper. And it's, like, Miss Fluffy's Rice Cookbook, and it's so adorable oh, and 50s-esque. Oh, I love those kinds of things. Yeah, I have Do they have any, any good recipes in it? Um, no. They're all, like, drenched in ketchup or something like that. It's weird. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, but those are really fun to look through. Um, the evolution of cookbooks and why we use them and for what and how they're produced. Um, changing but, all the time, right? Yeah. And um, I feel like this day and age, a lot of cookbooks are becoming actually more personal. And this cookbook, um, In the Kitchen with a Good Appetite, is um, a bit of a personal uh, narrative um, yeah. cookbook. Yeah, it is. And that was important to me. Um, I guess I, you know, I, I still have like this latent ambition of writing a novel one day or, or developing characters. And so turning mm-hmm. myself and my family into characters, or some of them would say caricatures, but no, I didn't mean <laughs> it. No, but, um, and, and, you know, developing these voices for people is so much fun. I mean, that's what I love about writing. And I mean, everything I write, even when I'm writing something that's not food related, there's food in it. Like, yeah. I mean, it was just, it's just my metaphor for life. I mean, I can, I cannot, that's how I think about everything <laughs> is through this lens of food and eating and hunger. And, um, and so it just made sense for me to write this book, you mm-hmm. know, like it was the book. I mean, for a long time, I thought I was going to write it. I had this really crazy childhood where my parents are psychiatrists and every August they had the whole month off and we would go to France every year. We would exchange our Brooklyn Victorian house in Flatbush, which back in the 70s, you really didn't want to go to Flatbush. So we would exchange this house for these little houses in these small towns in France. And I always wondered, like, what would the French people think when they'd get off? And, you know, I mean... (laughs) It was a dicey neighborhood. Yeah, back. Not anymore. Now it's beautiful. But back then it was scary. But And we'd be in these little rural towns and we'd eat all this amazing food. And my parents, all they wanted to do was go to amazing restaurants and they would take us, you know, and this was back. There was no euro. It was the franc. It was worth, I mean, it was really cheap. Mm-hmm. And we would just go around and eat all of this stuff. And I always thought I'd write a memoir about that. What um, a good education. I hope great. you do. Uh, wow. Maybe I will one day, but in a way, this book was sort of like it satisfied that desire because so many of the stories I want to tell are told through food. So I was able to tell the story and write the story, but then also share the recipe. Like yeah. I have this recipe for a pan bagnat. Have you ever had one of those? It's, a, it's this great sandwich from the south of France, and it's made with really good tuna, like a tuna confit, you know, okay. cooked slowly in olive oil. Or, you know, you can use canned tuna, which is what I did in my recipe. And you take it and you drench it in even more olive oil with capers and anchovies and garlic and cucumbers. And, and then you squish it. And you squish it into this thick, crusty bread. And, you know, my sister and I were kids. We used to sit on it and make, <laughs> make it because it was so thick you couldn't fit it in your mouth unless you flattened oh, no. it. And, but then what would happen is the olive oil and the garlic would soak into the bread, and it was so good. It was still crusty on the outside, but really soft in the middle, and it just was so savory. Oh, tons of tomatoes and onions in there, too. And um, so I gave that recipe, and, and writing the story and giving the recipe also really rounded out my experience in a way that I think just telling the story without the recipe wouldn't have done. Absolutely. 
And that sandwich sounds right on the alley. It was so good. (laughs) (laughs) I want one right now. I don't think Roberta's does pun on yachts, though, do they? They're probably not. No, there's a pie we should order, though, with tuna called Si Senor. Oh, that's perfect. That'd be good. Um, So you mentioned MFK Fisher then Mm -hmm. was an inspiration. Were there any um, other earlier predecessors to the kind of kind of food writing you're you're kind of gravitating towards well Lori Moore yeah I read I mean I loved Lori Moore when she first came out with her gourmet column I read it all the time I think I was in gosh she must have been in high school Mm -hmm. um but I remember you know I was a foodie back then I read it my parents got gourmet I'd take their copy and I would read it and then she came out with those books and I read those books too Mm -hmm. Um, is that a female thing like do a lot of men write in this way or that's a good question (laughs) actually right now well I mean but then there's some great you know like it's a different voice but there are I mean if you think gosh I mean I feel like there like even James Beard you know like some of his text is so evocative and you know Anthony Bourdain yeah although that was I was already a food Mm -hmm. writer by that time so yeah I don't know if he would have tempted me into the profession (laughs) (laughs) I mean his stuff is great in its own way but I don't know that it was like because, you know, the stuff I love is so much about the act of cooking. Yes. Yeah. You know, what is true. it like it's to different. be in the kitchen with an eggplant? Like for Lori Moore, for mm-hmm. example, that's her fa- one of her famous stories. Like, what is that experience like? You know, what's it like to, you know, for me, it's like, what's it, you know, today I was testing shrimp recipes. I'm like, hmm, you know, what's going on here <laughs> with me? And then sh- I know. What am I going to do with these little shrimpies, you know? It's <laughs> cute. Um... <laughs> So you're cooking with shrimp these days. Um, is there anything you would recommend um, else we might look into since produce seems to be so scant. I know. We were talking about that. Yeah. But we're, when, when we were emailing, we were emailing like, oh, gosh, you know, there's no pro. I mean, because you oh, you're farmer's market based, too. Like, I'm so farmer's market based. I mean, you can get anything you want in a supermarket. But I really try to get stuff at the farmer's market. And all the greens are gone. I don't know what happened this winter. I mean, there's cabbage. But there's not a lot of kale. There's not a lot of collards. There's not spinach. Like all the stuff that, at least to the farmers market at Granary Plaza, yeah. there really haven't been. Lately, so, it's been pretty. Skin it's been slim. pretty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's carrots. So yeah. we've been doing. I've been doing a lot of stuff with carrots. Um, what have I done with carrots? I've been doing. Oh, I've been doing this like pickle. I did a daikon, carrot, um, cucumber. Which cucumbers are not seasonal, but sorry, mm-hmm. you know, have to have to mix it up a little bit. But um, and doing just a simple pickle with a little sugar, a little salt, and a little rice wine vinegar. Oh, sounds good. Like, like super a quick simple pickle. Yeah, like a quick yeah. pickle. Thirty minutes on the counter, and so that is like so great in the winter because the flavors are so intense and they're so bright. Yeah, and you can put that on shrimp or you can put that in as a condiment for a sandwich. I was making um, sort of a shortcut banh mi the other day. Okay. I was working on that for a Times column, and um, so you know I had like this, you know, and that's just so perfect to have like a quick pickle. Yeah, but um, what I love about banh mi is that they have those long shreds of of radish. How do we <sighs> do that? I know. I guess they use the mandolin. I guess so. And which, you know, I don't use. Which is a death trap. Yeah. <laughs> I bought one of those gloves. Okay. You know those mesh gloves? That, like, oh, yeah. It's like this glove. It looks like it should be. It's like be. a medieval like, exactly. armor. Exactly. <laughs> it looks like this medieval armor sort of space glove, like a cross between the two. And you put it on your hand and then you go, and it, it actually will save your fingertips. I've gotten really bad mandolin okay. cuts. But yeah. um, for this, I just use a food processor and I grated everything up and threw it on the counter. Like literally, you don't have to measure. You can just do this by sprinkling sugar until you and you know you know when it's enough when it feels like everything's coated so you're sprinkling and you're tossing and you're feeling the little grains of sugar on your fingers while you're tossing mm-hmm. and when everything just feels and you could a little, feel it when they're dissolved too. yeah exactly yeah. so you know that it's dissolved and you know that it's enough because it's sort of coated and then just a pinch of salt and then you just you know 
shake a little vinegar on top until it's all moist and that's it. I mean, it's so nice to cook that way without having to worry about measuring and to do it really sort yeah. of instinctively. Um, using your hands, I think is great. Do you cook with your hands? I cook with my hands constantly. Yeah. Because I feel like then I know when, like tossing a salad with your your hands, you know when all the dressing is distributed. Mm-hmm. It, and your fingers are so much more sensitive than anything else. So. And a tongue would just kind of bunch them up in a weird way. Yeah. yeah and I mean, and you can do it with a tongue, but you just don't never quite, and like I always overdress my salads when I use, you know, like tosters or something. I never quite get it right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm constantly, so I'm like constantly washing my hands, constantly using my hand, you know, just like constantly like, okay, sesame oil over my hand. Yeah. yeah. But it's I, one of the big differences, I think, between being a professional and being a home chef because you just kind of. That's so little, true. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true because you can't get away with that in a professional. I mean, I guess you could use a glove. Yeah, you could. But you lose that sensual connection. Definitely. The, t- the skin to skin to whatever it is contact skin to leaf yes con- or skin to, <laughs> skin to grains of salt <laughs> right <or laughs> whatever you're touching yeah you can get that i um, was doing when i was doing my shrimp today i was turning them by the their little tails mm-hmm. <laughs> flip 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 you know did you have the head on too i didn't have the yeah. head on for these although i love head on shrimp um but not these guys were just you know the, the standard ones you buy you know so often when i'm developing a recipe i'm using ingredients that are so easy to find because that's yeah. I that's feel funny. like just like to get people in the kitchen and to cook. It's like I don't want to. I don't want people to have to go out and find head-on shrimp. Although I love them so much and I will buy them, but I just want you know. Or just to see that a lot of people find that a little restrictive too. Yes, yeah. yes, that is true. <laughs> that's true. I'm, I can't. I'm like listening here and I'm like nodding. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what else to say because I totally agree and I just don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um, but so I mean, so, we were talking about sauerkraut also right before we got on the air. Yeah. And I want and you were talking about making oshinko. See, that's another thing like that quick pickle. Yeah. I feel like pickling in the winter is so like the flavors are just so bright. Like making, you know, and obviously these are stuff that. It's a good way to brighten up dull vegetables yeah Yeah. and also this stuff keeps you know like pickles will last it does and um you mentioned your quick pickles with you know for the ben mi it's kind of the same combination that i was doing with oshinko and um but kind of bigger chunkier pieces because i like to bite into it and feel that weird crunch yeah, i love that that strange rubbery crunch though too um and I, so it's basically just like making sauerkraut you let it sit underneath a weight um and it it's just salt or do you put vinegar salt. just salt okay and sometimes i splash a little vinegar just for extra flavor because i like the um this i use some marin sometimes mm, okay. just for a little bit of um sweetness and vinegar. right instead of sugar you could yeah. use the marin yeah you could use say. a little pinch of sugar too if you wanted um, it should create a vinegary flavor afterwards. So vinegar isn't, you know, really necessary. Because the vegetables will ferment themselves. Like when ferment. you're making mm-hmm. a sauerkraut. See, I'm thinking about sauerkraut, too, because I just did a, a sauerkraut recipe, too. But I didn't oh. eat, I didn't make my own sauerkraut, and I'm feeling haunted by that. I feel like, oh, Melissa, why didn't you just make your own sauerkraut? And then the other part of me is like, well, making sauerkraut, really? Do I have Stinky to make- on the yeah, counter. Like, yeah. Where am I going to put it? I, mean, <laughs> I guess I could put it in the basement. But it's then- kind of fascinating to think, like, what's going on? too because it's like lacto fermenting yep, and, and yeah. I don't want to mess it up but it's you know hopefully you can tell if you do did, <laughs> so, so when like, you did it did you have to worry about temperature or was it fine on the cat because it isn't supposed to be like 55 degrees and a normal home kitchen is 75 degrees so yeah I tried it during the summer and I totally failed oh okay it, <laughs> it was terrible I haven't gotten back to that yet so maybe your recipe can help me out with that well, I didn't do it yet I just oh, okay. I, I bought the sauerkraut oh, okay. and I just actually I just took sour I did like kind of a chocrut variation like okay. where I took all the sauerkraut and I just added a ton of pork like it was basically 
Like, I, I love pig's feet, and I can never think of what to do with pig's feet because you don't want to just make something with pig's feet because then people are like, what, what else? <laughs> they're kind of a little hard. To, you know, for, you can't serve them to company unless they're your really good friends because you're spitting out bones constantly, which I don't mind doing, but other people get a little embarrassed. So yeah, like, sure. I'm happy to spit out bones in front of my friends, but I don't want my friends to feel embarrassed about spitting out bones in front well, of me. I think so. if anyone should change people's um, you know, public tastes, it should be you. So go for the pig's feet as I, a full I, I put meal. It, you know. I, well, I put them in this. I put them, okay. but then I put okay. in some like sausage and some rib tips so that the people who are bold enough to you know <laughs> spit out the bones in front of everyone can reach for the pig's feet and then everyone else can have the, the oh, sausage wow. I like that you separate the, the grown ups from the children <laughs> a little my husband was eating a pig's foot the other day from this and he, he was like looking at it and he's trying to cut it apart he goes well, wait where's the meat I'm like there is no meat it's just bones cartilage. and flesh and fat and cartilage. That's Collagens, the beauty of it. Exactly. Lovely stuff. That's the beauty. It's, yeah. It's it, a texture it, thing. It, it's a texture thing. Mm-hmm. And it absorbs the flavor. And it's, it is porky mm-hmm. flavor. It's sort of like pork plus whatever you cook it with plus that amazing texture. Strings of skin. It's like why I like chicken feet too. Although they have they taste chickeny as opposed to they porky. Do. But it's just like a very kind of... I can't believe you like chicken feet too. This is like one of my childhood favorite things. Really? Ever. Yeah. Did you ever do you make them at home or do you, you? I made them once and they were fine. Yeah, but um, it's kind of the dim sum style mm, yeah, that I a, like. Yeah, exactly. It involves deep frying first, and I is just, that how they yeah. do it? Mm-hmm. They de- oh. and then they toss it in the sauce. Yeah. Those are my favorite things. Yep. I used to have this joke that um, when I was in college, I would we always had met my parents for dim sum when I was in college because mm-hmm. I was up at Barnard and they were in Brooklyn. And so Chinatown was kind of in the middle. So I would meet them for dim sum. And if I had a boyfriend, I'd bring him, you know, at oh. eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday for dim sum where I would always get chicken feet. It was like trial by dim sum. Yes. If you couldn't deal with it, then out the door. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And uh I, but I, when I make chicken feet, you know, my grandmother was Jewish, we're Jewish, and mm-hmm. she had chicken feet in her soup. So I grew up, when I was really little, I grew up eating chicken feet right. straight from the soup. For stocks, or she would leave the feet in afterwards? Well, she would make, no, it was okay. for the stock, but right. she'd always have the, she would have the feet, say, she'd save yeah, them for me. Yeah, for stock. And I would eat them like lollipops. You know, you <laughs> bite off the pad, you had a little salt, you bite off the little toes, and you suck on the toes, and then you spit out the sure. the bones, and they're so great. The claws or whatever they are. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. It's that in dim sum, they don't have the claws. They clip them. They clip them, which yeah. is nice. A nice aesthetic touch. When you get them in chicken, Jewish chicken soup, they've still got their little claws, <laughs> which is less pretty, but still tasty. Yeah, I've, I've seen when I was in Taiwan, there was kids, you know, there's a common snack where it's like snack where it's a braised soy sauce braised uh, and kind of chewy and rubbery chicken feet. Um, and I think they might have, still have the claws and kids would just, you know, be chewing on this while they're doing their paperwork. And <laughs> it was a strange sight, but why not? <laughs> Better than those tarantulas on a stick that I, you know, saw somewhere. God, where was I that I saw those? Oh, the water bugs. It was water bugs on a stick. Tarantulas were at the Explorers Club, water bugs on a stick. That was Thailand. Oh, wow. I didn't eat those. I didn't either. I didn't My eat friend them. ate a scorpion in Thailand, though. On a stick. Deep fried? Yeah, or, or crunchy, like kind of shiny, glistening. See, I could probably do a scorpion. And I could probably do it. I did do a tarantula, which was like a soft shell crab. But the, the thing about the water bugs is when you grow up in New York, it's like, ew, they're roaches. Bugs, they're just yeah, roaches. So they're just like. Cockroach, yeah. We have them all. We, we don't, mm. no, I mean, I used to live when I was living up on 123rd Street. We had them all over the place. And it was right. just like, there was, they were as big as mice. And you they, know what? I'm just not going to eat them. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're probably, you know, we're probably eating them in some foods. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, or little sorry to pieces, say, little pieces of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I'm, man. I'm not appetizing. No, should okay. we get more appetizing in our conversation? Are okay. we being kind of yeah, like... Yeah, let's get more appetizing. And also, I wanted to get back... Um, oh, yeah, about food writing. Yeah. If that's okay. Of course. Um, so you write in your column, you know, you share some tidbits, like you cooked a, a Super Bowl tea party for your daughter yeah. yesterday. And I want to ask you about that. Like, how'd the tea party go? But do you find do you get a lot of weird people just saying like, you know, asking you about how that party went with, you know, that you talked about? Do you, Actually, you know what I yeah. get? It's this is really funny because sometimes like I'll fudge the dates a little bit in my column. Okay. I'll be like recently. And then recently really means like three and a half years ago. And just because you, you know, it's supposed to be like timely. And mm-hmm. so my friends are like, what do you mean you had a party recently? You haven't had a party in a year. I'm like, did you not invite me? I'm like, no, it's not that. It's just that. Remember that party I had three years ago? Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> that's so. My friends are always saying that. Or how come you didn't make that for me? And well, that's a smart way to get around it. Yeah. So and, you never feel like really conflicted about sharing too much about yourself with like a very public audience, and in a way that's like you know true. Or, well, it's not that. Um, I mean, the stuff I'm sharing is. Pre- I mean, the book is much more um, personal. You mm-hmm. know, where I really talk about you know family and strife and divorce I mean a little bit you know yeah. and, and and in the column it's all very you know kind of like sparkly clean and washed up and made all okay. you know That's so you, same just, with me with my book and, right. and, and the blog it's yeah. kind of like peppered some you know anecdotes but then yeah I mean and I feel like people really want to know you right yeah. don't you feel that way absolutely but was it hard for you to take the leap and add more about uh, you know family strife in your book yeah, it was actually because, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of stuff I left out. There's a lot of stuff I, you know, and stories I'm not going to tell, of course, because, you know, I've, I love my family and I'm yeah. not going to alienate them. That's just, it's just too important. But, you know, it's funny that, ba- you know, when you're writing memoir and even when it's food memoir, it's loaded often and you just, you have to really choose what you're going to write about. And I mean, I still get complaints. I mean, I remember my mother is featured all over my book, you know, mm-hmm. of course, and my mother um, you know, she's an interesting lady and mm-hmm. has a lot of strong opinions about food and I write about them all. And, um, when she came to my, one of my book signings, she met the publicist for my book and the publicist, this Uh-oh. woman, Allison said to her, you know, and there's my mother and she came to the, to the book signing and she's wearing a big black, and it's in the middle of February and she's wearing a big black straw hat and a big black coat and like mm-hmm. these big, huge red earrings and her big red glasses. And it sounds know, like a cool lady. She's a cool lady and that's my mom. So Allison goes up to her, the publicist and says, so how do you think of the way you're portrayed through Melissa's book? And my mother goes, she's portrayed me as a bit of a kook, I think. And she goes, well, I suppose I am a bit of a kook. <laughs> I was like, yes, mom. Yes, you are. And, and, you know, you're my lovable kooky mom. And that's, you know, and that's really important that yeah. she's there. And so. Oh, that's great. Sounds like it was a warm experience. Then, you yeah, know, it so. definitely was. Um, but, you know, there's some story, but of course, like, it's all not, you know, and then there's the stories that you don't really want to tell and the mm-hmm. stories that, you know, I always think I'm like, well, then there's the book I'll write when I'm like 80. <laughs> when Save I, that for the other book before you die. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the right before and dead book. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that one. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. No, um, but, you know, but the thing, the most important thing about this book was also it's like, you know, I want to share the recipes that are really important and get people to cook them. Like, don't right. you feel I mean, I know that's your big mission, which I just mm-hmm. love about what you do is Thank you. get people to cook, get people to eat in and cook and use their kitchens and show the love. I mean, there's nothing more loving than cooking show for the, someone. The, right? the beauty of like hands on, you know, feeling salts yeah. and all that stuff. I, I totally share your 
and yeah, and, and yeah. that's really, I mean, and I feel like that's our mission. It's like, okay, everybody go out there and cook something. You know what? Don't You don't have to make sauerkraut. You don't have to make pig's feet, but maybe saute some shrimp. Really yeah. easy. You want to hear what I did today? So I took the shrimp and I'm obsessed with coconut oil. Okay. I yeah. love cooking with coconut oil because it adds such a rich, sweet flavor. So I sauteed a ton of scallions and got them really rich with coconut oil. And I added ginger and garlic and the shrimp to the pan. And then just a pinch of ground coriander. Okay. And a little bit of lemon juice. And that was all they needed. And it was such a simple recipe. Oh, and scallion tops as well, scallion greens. And the scallion bottoms got succulent and soft and coconutty. And the tops of the scallions, which are bright green, stood crunchy and really oniony. And it was so nice with the sweet shrimp. It's such a good recipe and so simple. And it took, you know, a little chopping, maybe 10 minutes, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That sounds. I'm I'm like kind of uh, freaked out right now because it's all without the coconut oil factor and the coriander seeds. It sounds almost just like my my mom made the other night for Chinese New Year. Oh, you're kidding! What did yeah. she make? She just stir fried some and then they're head on. Um, she put in the scallions, she ginger, uh, garlic, mm-hmm. and then stir fried the shrimp. And, was- and then there was like crusty and you know uh, with the peels and everything. Oh, still I love on. that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and that a little salt great. at the end. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it could be kind of, I guess it could be kind of Chinese, except for the coriander powder, which yeah, you wouldn't really. Yeah, except for that. I mean, it was more but like. That sounds good. Coconut. Yeah. Yum. And it was slightly, I mean, you couldn't taste coconut, but you tasted sweet. Yeah. Which was really nice. Mm, so. Sounds delicious. So, I have a question that I like to ask everyone on the show um, before we end. Um, what is your favorite or most, you know, what would you recommend as the best date meal, the most romantic meal? Oh. Well, it depends on if you want to test somebody, in which case you might do the pig's feet, chicken feet thing. Ah, that's or, a good one. No, but I think something for, mm. for something really romantic, um, something you can share. I like a dish that you can share, you know, like where you put the whole thing down on the platter and then you guys pick it apart together. Like, you know what's really good for that is a whole duck. Okay. A whole duck. I mean, if you don't mind making a whole duck, if that's not too hard. And they're not but too you, big. Or yeah. you can do a whole chicken even, just like a whole, mm-hmm. but like a little one, like maybe one of those, like, you know, if you get a heritage chicken, for example, they're smaller and yeah. they're like around three pounds Pheasant instead of. or something. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Or a duck. I mean, ducks are great because ducks really do feed too, because there's so much fat and bone and stuff. So by the time you get to the meat, and of course I love the fat and then you've got duck fat and you can actually fry potatoes in it. Um, so a whole bird I think is really nice. And then put it on a platter and just pull it apart with your hands. Do you be very Tom Jones about it. Like, what is sexier and more romantic than that? And plus, here's another thing. Like, if you're dating someone who doesn't want to eat with their hands, mm-hmm. I don't know. I personally it would be a little turned off if someone didn't want to eat with their hands. I want someone to get in there. And pull apart the skin. And pull apart and eat the, the skin and everything. Exactly. And, and, you know, like, you know, gnaw on the bones as much as they want or not, or just pull off the rich and succulent pieces of meat. However they want to eat it is fine. Like, I, you know, they don't have to eat it the way I eat it, sure. but they just have to really enjoy eating it. And um, and they can use a knife and fork as well, but I mean, just that they shouldn't be afraid to pull off the the drumstick or to That's like what it's get for. in there. It's a built-in handle. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that would That's... be. I would say that, and then something really for dessert. It should be something really simple. You know, like most perfect, beautiful fruit that you can find. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, maybe in the season, I would say um, blood oranges, maybe drizzled with like perfect, you know, nice, fragrant honey, local honey, if you can find it, and toasted walnuts, like something really simple, Um, maybe a dollop of mascarpone or a dollop of fresh ricotta or something like that. Oh my gosh. And that would be it, you know, in a nice bitter salad with your, with your bird, maybe watercress or arugula or spinach. If you can even get local spinach, that would be great. This Pom- is pomegranate this is seeds on top, right? Way better than I could imagine any restaurant meal being. Like that's, 
I'm about to go find that. We're gonna bet we're about to go eat pizza, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> we're gonna do that. But for next week, Valentine's Day, you know, it's good to have that. Oh, good ideas. And, and you can you serve little it. squares of chocolate with the orange salad too. Okay, can or your brownies lately. Oh yeah, yeah my, I make brownies. Okay. Go make your favorite brownies <laughs> <laughs> or my brownies in the You're times. Right. Go find my brownies in the times. Terrific. Oh, this is so much fun. Um, Thank so, you. Thanks so much for coming on air. Um, and check out Melissa's book, In the Kitchen with a Good Appetite, and her weekly columns. And you can find me else. on my website, too, which is melissaclark.net. Perfect. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Thanks for Jack Insley and everyone at Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. See ya. Love.